Welcome to Gleaming the Tube, the podcast where Kevin and Mike watch a film in which somebody rides a skateboard at some point. Finally, a podcast where people talk about movies. Hello, Michael. Hello, Kevin. 2009's Observe and Report, directed by Jody Hill, tells the story of bipolar mall security guard Ronnie Barnhart, played by Seth Rogen, who's called into action to stop a flasher from turning Shopper's Paradise into his personal peep show. Uh, but when Ronnie can't bring the culprit to justice, a surly police detective, played by Ray Liotta, is recruited to close the case. And Michael and I watched this film. We sure did. Uh, first thing I want to say is, uh, this movie is a brisk 87 minutes. Yep. And I did a little fist pump when I saw that. <laughs> when I sat down last night to watch it, I was like, Yes! 87 minutes there are not enough 90 minute movies in the world right i agree that it, it was it's brisk but they sure do get a lot out of that 87 minutes <laughs> this is a this is a wild fucking movie it is and uh in all honesty i do think this is a movie i maybe admire more than like sure like i appreciate what jody hill is going for here but like you said it's a wild movie this movie is really dark it is not afraid to go to unpleasant places. Like there were there were points where I laughed and there were points where um you know I think there's a scene in the movie where Ray Liotta is telling the Seth Rogen character that he's failed the police academy exam because he hates him so much and one of Ray Liotta's cop friends was like hiding in a closet to like eavesdrop on it and and leaves partway through and says like, I thought this was going to be funny, but it's just kind of sad. Yes. That's, that's sort of like the tagline for the movie. Right. I, I feel like the, 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 the real magic spell that, that Jody Hill casts on this movie is that there's a lot of moments where it, it's, he, he takes everything a little too far, but then like it just in that moment, almost like, redeems the scene because you can tell i think that it's like all of a sudden you can tell that they're just having a good time making this movie you know the scene where him him and uh where ronnie and and izzy's like Anzari's character just keep saying fuck you to each other oh where they're mouthing it silently i thought that yeah. was really i thought that was really funny it was really really funny but it almost goes on too long and then you're like you know what these guys are just having a good time, you know, they also are like the, even, you know, the scene not to get into the skateboarding portion of it too much, but this uh, too soon, but the scene where they're like chasing down the skater kids in the parking lot, like it, it, it shifts from them stopping kids skateboarding to like physically assaulting these children to the point where we're like, all right, you know, but then they hit the brakes and the scene ch changes and it's like, man, you're really pushing some buttons here. <laughs> Mike, have you ever heard the term rake effect uh, regarding comedy? No, I think I, I might know what it is, but I don't know that I've heard that term. Basically, it's referring to the scene uh, from the Simpsons episode, Cape Fear, where Silent Bob steps on a rake and then he steps on another rake and then he steps on another rake. And that is a, like a that scene goes on way too long and it starts out kind of funny 
and then it's not funny and then it gets really funny and i sure. think this movie employs the rake effect to varying degrees of success yeah all right that's a that that's actually perfect because i know exactly what you're talking about like like you you wear it out to the point where it's not funny and then somehow foraging ahead on the same joke adds a new layer of, of comedy it's it's a weird magic trick and it doesn't always work but when it does man does it pay dividends yes what do you think about seth rogan in this movie i think i i think he's great i think i remember him doing the rounds of interviews when this movie came out and he you could tell that he was really excited by how fucking off the chain this movie was and i really enjoyed i really enjoyed that when you step back from the the the, the story a little bit first of all sex Oregon's character is in no way the hero of this story he's a troubled person who's gone off of his meds and kind of goes like full taxi driver um and really makes a mess out of things and then sort of like winds up just sort of like back where he started because he gets, I, I, you know, like there's, there's really no redemption or anything, but I, I really like the way Seth Rogen plays him where he's not a good person, but he's also not a villain. He's just this person. I don't know. There's something about Jody Hill where it's, it, it's, I'm not I'm sorry, I'm not sure I'm answering your question exactly, but there's something about Jody Hill's characters where they're like it's so steeped in this really stark reality that no matter how ridiculous their actions are, it's always it always comes back to this like gormless middle America normalcy. Uh cuz I know like before this movie Jody Hill had written and directed a movie called uh Foot Fist Way. Which yes. starred Danny McBride, who he is he usually Jody Hill's projects, like all of his HBO shows, like Eastbound and Down and Vice Principals and uh Righteous Gemstones have all starred Danny McBride. And this movie was clearly written for Danny McBride, but I think the studio wanted to go with Seth Rogen, who was a much bigger star at the time. Sure. He had he, you know, he was coming off knocked up and I think I think Pineapple Express and like some other some other early 40-year-old virgin. Um, and you know, Seth Rogen, uh, I think does a great job in this, but there, there are times watching the movie where I could hear Danny McBride's voice and Danny McBride has like a very small role in this movie as like the father of the child crack dealer, but right, right. Well, see, and I, I agree because I don't, as much as I love Danny McBride and I love how ridiculous he is, I almost think he would have been, he would have brought too much sort of swagger and too much Danny McBride-ishness to it well because then i heard they were going to uh have him play the ray leota part of the cop but i think uh i think having leota in it actually works better because he's he's on this because danny mcbride never comes off as a normal guy in the in these jody hill things and ray leota sort of does it first and then sort of gets a little bit more insane as the movie goes on which i think works in the movie's favor yeah well because he's just so it's so funny to think of like, you know, you're you're almost like preset to think of Ray Liotta's character as the villain, but he's just this cop trying to deal with this insane person, you know, and I, it really kind of brings him. It's like it's like Seth Rogen's character sort of like almost like draws him into that world and makes him go a little fucking nuts. And uh, like uh, in our recent episode about needle drops like you had mentioned uh the bands 
covering Bob Dylan's When I Paint My Masterpiece uh, over the, you know, opening credits of this movie. And I had not seen this movie until we watched it for this podcast. So it was fun to watch that. And I think, I think Jody Hill has like a really good eye, like you said, for this kind of middle America mall culture stuff. Right. Uh, I, I think that's one of the things he does best is kind of like showing the American South as a place where there are a lot of strip malls, which is more realistic of what you see in a lot of the South than how it's usually portrayed in movies. Right. TV. Right. You know, it's usually someone sitting on a porch sunning themselves going <laughs> like, bring me that sweet tea. And <laughs> yeah, this is more, we all hang out near the, you know, near the, uh, the TJ Maxx and, and well, that's, I, I feel like that that's, it really is something that goes, it's a style choice that goes across a lot of his, especially as, I mean, I think the righteous gemstones is that's Jody Hill, right? Yes. Yeah. I think the righteous gemstones is a little bit more extravagant because they're, the setting is that, you know, that crazy compound with all the, the houses on it and everything, but, but a lot of his other stuff, it really does. It's like this, the style is like a lack of style. It actually reminds me a lot of, um, of, uh, amazing stories that talking heads, David Byrne thing where it's like set true in stories, this, true stories. Sorry. Amazing stories is a different thing altogether, but yeah, it's, it's set. And it's just this like regular middle, middle America, but the, that's the weirdest stuff is that happens in these weird nondescript places. I was initially like, what about this movie reminds you of the show? Amazing stories. (laughs) That is not what I meant. I meant true stories. I will say that I almost rewatching the movie. I almost wish that I could, could go back and re-record our previous podcast about needle drops, because as much as I think that that song by the band, when I paint my masterpiece is amazing and it's used beautifully throughout the film. Now I almost feel like the, the moment where uh, Dennis's character uh, hits Ronnie over the head and then escapes in the car. And he's like going through the, not the dial, you know, the station, the radio and settles on that little river band song. I, that, I was like, man, that I want to go back and change my answer. The little river band song uh, help us on the way is I think the best needle drop from that movie. Holy shit, is that good? Uh, when he steals the mall raffle car. I yes, was, that's, that's, that's amazing. I was, and like immediately before that, there's kind of the montage of, they go on kind of a cocaine heroin bender. Right. And right. I think now's the time to bring up the skateboarding because during the cocaine heroin bender, um, they start physically assaulting all the skateboarders in the parking lot of the mall. Who you see? Who you saw earlier in the film, kind of like sp- spray painting the no on the no skateboarding sign. Which uh, I wanted to ask you, Michael, about mall skateboarding. Oh my goodness, Lincoln Mall! That's where you went. <clears throat> so you'd go to the Lincoln Mall, and you'd have your board, and you'd walk around for a while. And the beautiful thing about malls is, and it, it's very well represented in, in every way except one way in this film. The, the beautiful thing about a, a big suburban shopping mall is that they they always tend to have big, massive parking lots that are usually well underutilized. So it's very easy to find kind of a quiet corner. You're probably going to get kicked out by a security guard. But if you if you if you skate like, you know, right in front of the, the actual mall, 
But if you go find a quiet corner way in the far end of a parking lot, you're usually pretty left pretty pretty much to your own devices out there. And yeah, sometimes you even end up with a couple of little ad hoc ramps and a, a little curved escape. But the one thing you would not do is like spray paint on the no skateboarding sign or leave a bunch of litter or give anybody a reason to think of you as like the, you know, the kind of like juvenile delinquents that they assume that you are. There's a very much sort of a policing of your own area in skateboarding that, 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 you know, again, this movie is you know, wild in a lot of ways, but I was, I, whenever I see the kid crossing out the no, I'm like, dude, you don't do that, man. You don't shit where you eat. Those (laughs) security guards are going to leave you alone. If you just stay way out in the, you know, way you could even see it like in the, in the scene, they're far enough out in the parking lot where there's like weeds growing through the, the pavement and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that's the area of the parking lot that you skate where nobody really ever parks. Um, So to have them kind of go on their crazy, coke and <laughs> there's, there's nothing good about this at all <laughs> like to go on that bender and then yeah to, to go and literally physically at one point they drive by in a golf cart and smash a skateboard over a kid's head and i was like jesus that's that's brutal man <laughs> it's real it's it's really yeah, something yeah. they really go for <laughs> and it. i mean i i like they go for the excess like in every scene in this movie um you know like his his mom's not just an alcoholic she's a fall out of her chair alcoholic right, right. um you know and then at the end she says she's switching to beer um i really liked uh ronnie's kind of z cavarici style outfit for yes yep when he gets all dressed up. For his up. date with uh, Anna Faris's makeup counter girl. And man, is Anna Faris both funny in this movie and is that character awful? Oh my God. I will I will say this. I, I am a huge fan of what I've kind of in my, I don't know if this is a term but or a term I just use, but I love a micro performance. Meaning in my mind, that's a little tiny moment in a film that almost like if you could get an Oscar for a little second snippet of a person, the scene where she's driving into work in that like right, you know, that little raked out, uh, what is it? A little Honda Civic or whatever she's driving, listening to that amazingly beautiful, filthy rap song. And that look on her face, it's a, it's a, it happens in a microsecond. It's over almost immediately, but that look on her face where you know exactly what this person is about and it's nothing good. You know what I mean? She is just something special. Like that, that scene, every time I, I actually usually rewind that scene and watch it a couple of times because it's just like, Oscar worthy. <laughs> There's a and the, the the scene where they're in the restaurant and she keeps she keeps calling the waitress a nurse and says like I think it's funny <laughs> to call a waitress a nurse and like I'm like man what a not good person and the I notice like the characters in these Jody Hill projects tend to have these weird unrequ- unrequited crushes on people who they don't know at all. <laughs> right, right, yeah, it's the idea. Yeah, that seems to be a, like a recurring trope. Like that was there was that was definitely in Vice Principles, and uh, that was kind of all over uh, Eastbound and Down too. And I think I think it's a really interesting look into uh, the male psyche, like the very worst parts of the male psyche. Right, right. 
Um, and if the, this movie is nothing if not a look into the very worst parts of the male psyche. Uh, yeah, of a person who's decided to go off their meds and just goes off the fucking rails, man. Like, I, I, it's, it really is funny. Like, I, I already said it, but you, you stand back a little bit and you're like, wow, this is really actually a very simple story of a dangerous person who needs to be medicated. And once he gets back on his meds, he settles back down a little bit. I, uh, I, you know, I mean, there's some obvious nods in this film to other films. Like I, you know, there's clearly a taxi driver thing going on. I really like the, the, uh, the little nod to Miller's crossing when he says, look into your heart to the, to the crack dealer before he, uh, and then it's funny. Cause that's the other thing is that I kind of had forgotten that there are a few occasions where Ronnie does sort of prove to be at least a, a capable he could certainly take care of him of himself when he's when he's put in a corner, but it's just terrifying and dangerous. You know what I mean? That scene where the cops come at him and he, he just knocks each one down with that 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 uh, that cop the flashlight. flashlight. Jesus Christ, that's that is terrifying. Yeah, that's a really uh, interesting fight scene. Yes, it's, it's brutal. I found like. I've read interviews with Jody Hill where he said that like his two biggest inspirations for this movie were Taxi Driver and King of Comedy, uh, both by Scorsese. And I I don't think Observant Report is as good as either of those movies, especially King of Comedy, which I find has become more and more prophetic. Yes, with each, with each passing year, like like man, is that a good movie? <laughs> I I rewatched the King King of Comedy pretty recently in the last five years and like was like my awe for that film was renewed again i was like man that that fucking sandra bernhardt is terrifying in that movie everyone in that movie is terrifying well like uh i've probably talked about this on the podcast before my favorite thing about the king of comedy is when rupert pupkin gets on the talk show and does his stand-up monologue and the stand-up that he does is just terrible enough. Right, like right. He doesn't bomb, and he's clearly not good, but the joke, he does like these really kind of obvious sort of hacky jokes, and it's just terrible enough for him to feel like he's had this great victory. Right, And, right. Um, you know, the Seth Rogen character, you know, kind of uh, hauling the pervert in at the end of the movie, like, lets him sort of think that he's had, like, d- despite the fact that you know, the the movie has been sort of a cavalcade of failure. You know, like lets him end on like a win. And, right. And this character does nothing if not like write the narrative of their life in the in their head over and over again. Sort of <laughs> right, like, right. And the fact reframe it as yeah. like like, well, I'm the hero here. Yes, this is the victory. I shot this guy. When he shoots when he shoots the pervert, <laughs> that was my biggest laugh that was probably my only laugh out loud yeah. moment watching the movie i don't laugh if i'm watching something by myself i don't often laugh that got me i i michael pina made me laugh a lot in this movie i really i almost i didn't realize that that was michael pina because he's kind of like he, he's sort of he's such a character in this movie that i think i sort of forgot that that's who that was mm. And yeah, every time I watch that movie, I love his character. He's such a such a 
<laughs> I'm a criminal, baby. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, I, I knew it was him right away, but mainly because my kids have uh, been really into the Ant Man movies. But yes, yeah, yeah, where where he's one of the the wacky sidekicks. So I was like, oh yeah, there it's. Um, but yeah, I it, it's. I don't know if I wholeheartedly recommend this movie. I think this is an in, like this is like the definition of sort of like a cult film. I think the sure. people who like this movie are really gonna like it. Partly because it's so dark and fucked up, um, but this is like not a movie I would recommend to everyone. Right? Yeah, I remember just on the strength of of one of Seth Rogen's interviews, I went to see the movie, but had I, I don't know if you you recall this came out very soon on the heels or right just right before or right around the same time as Paul Blart Mall Cop, and I remember a lot of people almost confusing the two movies. <laughs> Yeah, they're both, they both came out around a very similar time. I think that both movies were aware of each other while they were filming. Right, right. I think every so often you get one of those scenarios, like when uh, the movie Lombada and the movie The Forbidden Dance both came out in the same year or like an Armageddon Deep Impact scenario. Right, right. And this is an Observe and Report Paul Blart Mall Cop scenario. And uh, Paul Blart Mall Cop was shot uh, at the mall that's closest to where I live. In Burlington, Massachusetts. Oh, really? Uh, I haven't seen that movie, but I like it's obviously aimed at like a much more kind of family friendly crowd. Sure, so, sure. So people who went to that movie and loved Paul Blart Mall Cop and was like, I, I want to see some more hilarious family friendly antics and then went to observe and report. That would be an interesting thing for me right yeah to see uh you know I think at the time there was more of a, a spirit of well like we don't want to shit on the other movie. Right. From, from the people involved in Observing Report. But I think as the years have gone on, Seth Rogen in particular in a couple of interviews, I think has, has sort of expressed more frustration uh, that Paul Blart kind of like really took out the kneecaps of this movie's release. But there's such different films. I can't get him. Now, again, I've all, I also have never seen Paul Blart Mark, 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 Paul Blart Mall Cop. I'm a little jealous. You just managed to say the name of that movie six times in a row and not stumble on it. And I couldn't get it out twice. I got to practice my diction, Kevin. Well, Mike, that's, that's, that's what charm school does for you. It's true. Yeah. I don't know that I would recommend everybody who's, who would love this movie. I'm sure has probably seen it. <laughs> um, there's, yeah, there's a lot of full frontal male nudity. There's uh prodigious drug use. Lots of violence. I know that the the full frontal nudity uh, character, who's the flasher at the mall, uh, was played by a college friend of Jody Hills, um, who kind of said like, oh, "I'll be, I'll do that," and and because I think right, a lot of people said they wanted to play the flasher, and then Jody Hill was like, "Well, you have to go full frontal," and most people were like, "Nope, yeah, I'm not doing that." <laughs> this guy was like, "Sure thing," and I think he's you know he's kind of. Perfect for it. Yeah. He, yeah. He's, has he ever done anything else? I never, I failed to look that up. Um, I think he's done like other small parts and other Jody Hill projects. Um, like he's, I think he's in Footfits Way and I, he's probably shown up in some of the other shows, but I also think he mainly works as kind of a set designer. Sure. So, or production designer. So, um, you know, hey, if you, if you're going to have your, your one big on screen role, this, is certainly uh one you could do so yeah so observe and report i liked it uh i got a i got a thing to plug i do it 
plug away so far removed from observe and report um as we uh as we record this it's happening tomorrow but i don't think this will be out tomorrow so uh there's a there's an unofficial group affiliated with the convention dragon con uh called like theater and performing arts enthusiasts or whatever and they do these virtual panels which are similar to the ones i've done for like the american science fiction classics track through dragon con and they're doing one tomorrow that's kind of like a march madness style bracket about musical theater um and musical theater is honestly like my like my fourth favorite type of theater um (laughs) like I, i like immersive theater more i like emotionally devastating plays more i like fucking shakespeare more um but i do have opinions and so i was asked to do this uh, after someone read some of my opinions of these March Madness style bracket around musicals. So I'm going to go on this and everyone's going to hate me because I'm going to talk about how much I dislike the show Rent, which is a show that is like designed solely to appeal to theater kids. But, but like, I like, you know, I, I like theater, but I'm, I've never considered myself a theater kid. And I think Rent is garbage. So uh that is happening that should be on the youtubes or what have you uh on the website with this episode i'll put a link to it and uh that that is a thing it's it's you know it's uh, the idea is to find like dragon con's favorite musical the bracket is a lot of recency bias it's weird to me there's no like rogers and hammerstein let me let me know how a chorus line lands because i i don't know if you know this kevin huge fan of a chorus line Chorus line is in there, and uh, I will absolutely let you know how it lands. Yeah. I, I wanted to bring up that uh, when we were when we did our, our podcast about the needle drops, mm-hmm. I made a comment about one of the first times I ever met you that you were wearing a Public Enemy T-shirt, and I thought mm-hmm. that that was undeniably cool. But I also I forgot to mention that the first time I met you, you were absolutely wearing a Phantom of the Opera T-shirt, and I thought that that was that made me so intrigued. <laughs> As to who is this person? And now I want a t-shirt that says a black t-shirt in white lettering that just says musical theater is my fourth favorite type of theater. <laughs> Kevin Cafferty. Because <laughs> that that to me that just gave me like there are heart cartoon heart bubbles coming out of my chest over <laughs> musical theater is my fourth favorite kind of theater. <laughs> That's that is that's got to be the tagline for this episode. It's just that is just perfect. My heart just is just pouring love. Right now. <laughs> I love theater, but I've never considered myself a theater kid. You know theater kids, Mike. Oh yeah, no, I believe you. I, I I know you've known kids. you've known theater kids, and you know me. I'm not a theater kid. <laughs> You're not a theater kid, but. Musical theater is your fourth favorite kind of theater. <laughs> I'm an enthusiast, but I'm not a theater kid. Yeah, sure. I do love a musical. I, we, we don't talk about musicals enough. We should do a podcast where we just talk about our favorite musicals. That might be one of our uh, special, maybe that'll be one of the, our next uh, special yeah. episode, musicals. Because <laughs> I, re- you know, I remember we, we, had a, I, we had the Disney Channel. When we were when I was a kid and in the middle of the day, they would play, you know, like seven brides for seven. But maybe maybe that wasn't a Disney channel. Would that be that would have to be a Disney property. Right. Regardless, we had basic cable and there was a network that was constantly playing musicals. 
And I would, my father would, you know, there would be nothing else on. And my father would be very, very annoyed at the thing that annoys people about musicals, which is anytime there's any exposition, it happens through song and there's a big song and dance. Number. And I was just completely transfixed. I could watch Seven Brides for Seven Brothers every day. <laughs> That's fantastic. Little Oliver Twist, little, little The Music Man. Are you kidding me? Now, let me ask you a question. Sound of music. Sound of music. Are those are those like pedestrian examples of musicals or are those is that the is that the cream of the crop? Well, I mean, it's like it'd be like saying are the like I like the Beatles. Is that a pedestrian example of rock music or is it the cream of the crop? And the answer is yes. There's a reason Oklahoma keeps getting restaged over and over again. It's fantastic. Because <laughs> it's fucking great. <laughs> it sure is, man. <laughs> I think maybe maybe this is our new podcast. Maybe we watch. Yeah. <laughs> Once we run out of skateboarding movies, we'll start talking about musicals. Thank you for listening. Our website is gleamingthetube.net. We're on Facebook at Gleaming the Tube. And our email is gleamingpod at gmail.com. Production assistance by Liam Gray. Music by Kissing Contest. Skateboarding is not a crime. I'm making that t-shirt, Kevin. That is that is it. We're, we're getting those printed up. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, love you. I love you so much, Kevin. <laughs>